Hey, everybody, it's Joe Trippy, and welcome back to That Trippy Show. Thanks to everyone who's downloaded our recent guest shows. But I want to take you back to 1989. Democrats were really struggling to win presidential elections. In the six elections between 1968 and 1988, Democrats won only once, Jimmy Carter in 1976. And during that entire time, we averaged just 42% of the popular vote. But we needed a strategic reset. At the time, a brand new group, the Progressive Policy Institute, commissioned a study by Bill Galson and Elaine K. Mark that has since become required reading for Democrats. It was called the Politics of Evasion, and it helped give rise to the new Democrats and the strategies that got Bill Clinton elected in 1992. Now with Trump looming over 2024 and Democrats still trying to formulate their strategy, they've updated the study and I really think it's worth discussing. Um, and we'll put it in the show notes. Everybody should read this study, this new study, this new updated one from the Progressive Policy Institute. Alex, uh, TSA, where, where do you want to get into? Yeah, it, it's really interesting. It, it's, it's, they re-released it earlier this year. It's called The New Politics of Evasion. And the subtitle is really interesting. How Ignoring Swing Voters Could Reopen the Door for Donald Trump and Threaten American Democracy. And it, you and I have been going back and forth on this for the last couple of days. What, what I found interesting is it's not just kind of let's look at what we did 30 something years ago, but it's now really looking at Trump and Trumpism as a threat to our democracy. And it, 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 there's a ton in this that I think we, we definitely should talk about today. Yeah, well, back then they said, you know, back then they said the risk was that uh, I think George Herbert Walker Bush would be reelected as uh, dire as that that may have been. This time it's democracy itself uh, that's at stake if uh, if Democrats don't get what's what's not working and the, the, the need uh, to reach out to swing voters again. They, you know, they point out that today everybody thinks there's no such thing as a swing voter. When in reality, if you look at uh, how close the results of Georgia and, and uh, uh, Pennsylvania and other places are, it just shows even if the swing vote is small, it's critical. It's right. not just turning out your vote. Uh, we've got to build a bridge to working class white folks and others that used to be part of our coalition and bring them back. So in broad strokes, Joe, what in this report or kind of what takeaways should should we grab from this? It's not just Kmark and, and Bill Collison. I worked with both of them, by the way, back in the Bondale campaign in 1984. Uh, so these are this really is the progressive, you know, thinking from, you know, progressives in the party about how how to, you know, about what what's wrong. They wrote a lot of of what, uh, you know, would become sort of what Bill Clinton communicated to change the direction of the party and uh, connected uh, with with working class folks. Uh, they wrote a lot of that in that study back then. I remember it and then saw it saw it work as we won, you know, in 92, 96. The interesting part, and I'm I'm going to I'm going to read a chunk from the initial 1989 report, and you tell me how relevant this still is. I, I was there. They, they worked with me, and uh, I worked with them both in the Mondale campaign in 1984. So this is a lesson, and this, you know, I'd come off progressives challenging Jimmy Carter, you know, with Ted Kennedy in 1980. 
you know, the party was was clearly, uh, and, and again, these were people who worked with, uh, for Walter Mondale in 84, uh, certainly a, a liberal from, from Minnesota, from the progressive wing of the party. And it, it took uh, them writing this in, in uh, this first uh, report they put out, study they put out, it really helped refocus the party it, to reconnect with its uh, working class roots. And I think they're making the same case here that 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 instead of looking at, you know, you hear a lot of this today. Uh, oh, we can't talk to these people. And I, I think I started early last year saying we need to start talking, to, you know, to right. rural voters and said everybody's like, you can't talk to these people. Well, that, no, uh, if we don't, we're having a problem because these are exactly the people that were the base of this party that if the party starts to talk to them, keep our scorn down. I mean, our, the scorn against voters that aren't with us is not helpful. Uh, we've got to put the, you know, lower the anger and, and talk to them reasonably. I'll give, give you an example. You know, what the Republican Party has done is convinced working class voters that, yeah, you're getting screwed uh, and it's because you're white. You know, Democrats, it's no, you're getting screwed, and it's because you're you're working class. The working class is getting screwed. It, it, you know, this is uh, right. you know whether you're rural, uh, suburban, urban. You know, the working class continues. It, it, it's more a class thing, not a race thing. And the Republicans make it a race thing, and then we fall right into the trap and fight them on it's a race thing. It's not. This is this is uh, a party that stands for the working class, um, and it has it it, it. it is not you're you're not being hurt and penalized because you're white. It's because they keep the working class separated along race lines. And we, I mean, these are things that we need to start talking about. I think, and actually leave the race out of it and make the case purely on on class lines, you know, tax breaks to the rich, what, uh, you know, the, the, the tax plan to tax, you know, want the Republicans, right. you know, running away from their tax plan that is in their tax plan, <laughs> that is in their, their plan, their agenda, which yeah. is the tax. I'm really not sure whether it is or it, it isn't is. right now. Well, it, yeah. you know, it's, it is, but I'm <laughs> saying it's to make it to, and I think that's one of the things that, that, that Biden was successful at in the, in, during the campaign is at least bridging with enough of those voters uh, that that they were the difference, uh, obviously turning out right. people too, but they were the difference um, for him in places like Pennsylvania, Georgia, uh, uh, you know, that that made the difference in terms of him winning. It's it's to to not abandon understanding that we have to go over after swing swing voters. And again, the scorn uh, to not treat those people with scorn, but to explain to them that there is a choice and that that it's it's not the reasons the Republicans are telling you that. I mean, that's what the immigration fight's about. That's what I mean. Everything is about them being able to blame to tell those folks that it's race, the immigrants, that they're all to blame. When in reality, it's they're giving tax breaks to the rich and the the working class people out there regardless of color 
are getting screwed. Right. Yeah, that's that's a much better message than you know than than getting into the fight on race. So, what year do you think? Which is what they want. What year do you think this sentence was written? Too many Americans have come to see the party as inattentive to their economic interests, indifferent, if not hostile, to their moral sentiments, and ineffective in defense of their national security. Well, that's now. I think that's now. That that was what they wrote in 1989. And I agree with you. It still, still rings true today. And then they said, instead of facing reality... Democrats had embraced a politics of evasion that ignored the electoral reality and impeded needed change. I mean, that gets to what you were just talking about, but I find it interesting that, look, they, there's a lot of really good new stuff in this study. And I think, like we said, we've been talking about it for a while, but it, it, it really passed, passed his prologue with, with a lot of this stuff. Going through this, there's a ton of myths they point out that we really can't fall into these traps again. And we got to be really careful. Joe, I was thinking we could play some Mythbusters. How's that sound? Sure. Of course. All right. So the first one that I think is much more relevant today, I mean, every day as we get closer to 2022, is Trump is fading or less relevant than he's ever been. Well, I mean, look, that one's pretty obviously not true. Uh, If you look at any of these uh, uh, primaries recently, uh, I think he's... His endorsed candidates have won four of the five uh, of them that he's endorsed. Mm-hmm. You look at it, it, you know, he got stronger in 2020, 11 million more votes uh, than he got uh, in 2016. Yes, Democrats turned out more votes too, but it, you know, it turns out, excuse me, that turnout is not blindly a good thing for Democrats anymore. You know, we saw this in, in uh, 2020. Uh, in Alabama, uh, you know, in the lower turnout election of 2017, Doug Jones wins in a massive presidential turnout, of course, in a state that's 68% Republican, ain't going to happen. Now, this is the same thing in a lot of these marginal, you know, battleground districts. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, he, North Carolina, yeah, Ohio, it, it, yeah. you know, and his people are energized by him. We've seen that. I mean, he can even, you know, get them to take out the, the U.S. Capitol. Or you know, or enough of them uh, to almost steal the election. So um, I just think that's a that one. Um, it's clear, clear and clear every day. He still owns the Republican Party. We see where you know you look at Joe Biden's approval ratings and where and how uh, bad the Democratic brand is, and then you know start believing the myth that he's gone, he's finished, he's never coming back. That's a, a is a a myth that we cannot uh, uh, we can't buy that yep. into that one. That that'd be a big mistake. We'll we'll get into more about kind of some of these swing voters and swing districts later. But one that is particularly relevant now. Another myth is people of color think and act alike, which is a trap that national Democrats sometimes have a tendency to fall into. Yeah, no, this is exactly right. And it's 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 also why, you know, the term socialism is has hurt Democrats. Right. Because, first of all, you've got, you know, younger progressives who don't you know, who who may have a different view of what social the word means. But also, more importantly, when you look at the erosion that's happened 
you know, with Democratic presidential candidates, you know, we got 71%, I think, of Hispanics in, uh, in 2012, 66 in 2016, 59 in 2020. Right. That's a huge, that's not erosion. That's like a cliff, man. That's a, yeah. Well, and, and it's all, uh, a lot of it has to do with large numbers of Cuban and Venezuelan uh, refugees who see socialism as, you know, as it, they, they experienced it, they hated it, they despise it. And then they are, you know, the Republican attack that we're all a bunch of social, et cetera. The, the, the ads that they were running in Florida uh, on uh, uh, Latino and Hispanic radio uh, and things like that. And then the communities, uh, it's not monolithic. They're not the same as right. someone from Mexico. I mean, it's, it's not one thing, but but again, we make the mistake of basically speaking to people of color as if they're all monolith, you know, one thing and, and do not understand that the, the, the attack of us being socialist is actually one that works with, with key members of the Hispanic community, right? There are other, so we've got to start from the, the get-go understanding that no, people of color are not all the same. They don't, you know, we we have to deal with these attacks and explain who, you know, who we are, what we're fighting for. And again, this is another one of those things where it's about class, not necessarily race or color. And I think we need to start uh, again when we were speaking more in those terms. I think we were able to hold the working class together uh, across those lines now the Republicans have gotten very, very good at dividing and, and blaming, you know, blaming, you know, pointing at different groups and blaming the, those groups to keep them from joining each other is what I, I guess what I'm saying in terms of how they've kept us uh, uh, separated and who's spending the money right. to do that. It's a bunch of, you know, dark money people who, who like things, you know, like to get their way. And this is the best way for them to do it and get power. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, Joe, it, and this is more of a messaging one, but the, the myth that I thought was really interesting, we got a bust, is that economics really does trump culture. And that's a total myth. Yeah. It, you know, too many Democrats believe that economic issues are the real issues and that cultural issues are broad, you know, mostly diversions invented by their adversaries, you know, for political purposes. You know, it, 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 it's easy to fall into that that trap and we we tend to walk right into it. Yeah. So Alex, another myth you wanted to talk about was economic Trump's culture. Yeah, well, and and it trumps the key word there. And this was really something in 2016 that he did really well, right? For years, Republicans kept the 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 argument they would always give us is we could say they're going to cut your Medicare, they're going to cut your Medicaid, they're going to take away the programs you rely on. Well, Trump campaigned on a promise that he wasn't going to do it, which essentially took away all that ammo, which it really kind of reoriented a lot of voters on who was doing what on entitlement reform. Yeah, it was smart and it worked. But, you know, it was that he removed, you know, a key obstacle to a cultural appeal. I mean, so his anti- uh, immigrant uh, uh, and, and nationalism would, you, you know, would could be pushed back against because with 
hey, but they're, you know, they're going to come and like they're doing now in uh, their, their, their new agenda that they say is their agenda, uh, which is to uh, sun, uh, sunset Medicare, uh, Social Security, et cetera. So they're, they're, they're you, putting it right there. Think, what do you think people are going to say sunset right. means? No, but, it's so obvious. But my yeah. point is that they, that he, he by removing the barrier of they're going to take my Medicare or that fear away, it let him by you know taking that fear away because it was sort of two fears. Do I fear uh, the Republicans taking my Medicare and Social Security and things I depend on away, uh, or uh, do I fear the immigrants and the people of color who are, who that's why I'm being held back. Well, if you remove the fear of Medicare, you know, the, the attack on your uh, uh, on, on something you're, you 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 need and believe in, then it's easier to get you with the um, attack that you're you're getting screwed because you're white and these immigrants and people of color are stealing your jobs. Uh, and so there's two things that Democrats need to do. Well, one, the Republicans just did it again with their new agenda, which is to sunset end programs in five years, like Medicare, Social Security. Oh, they'll say, yeah, but we'll put them back. Yeah, we're going to end them so we can start them again, right? They weren't for starting them in the first place, and they've always been for ending them. So one, we have to continue to make that. But the other thing is, again, getting back to talking to them and making the argument that they're not being screwed because they're white, they're being screwed because they're working class uh, voters and the working class in this country is getting left behind by business, you know, and, and start to make that case. You can't make that case if you're saying no and holding those voters up with for scorn and saying, hey, they're not even worth talking to. Well, if they're not worth talking to and they're being told by Trump and the Republicans uh, and the MAGA cult that we're all being screwed because we're white and there's no counter to that, then, you know, that starts to be what this is the thing that, we, that we've suffered not addressing for way too long. That's what this report, uh, this study actually lays out. And it's that we have to fight both what they really what they're really doing but also on the cultural um that you know we we have to engage in the culture war and and make sure that that people understand that they're being played um and that there are ways to do that if we can talk if we can communicate and, and actually have a discussion and start talking to people that we haven't been talking to um uh, and, and if we continue to not talk to them or with them, uh, and by the way, this is why I think Tim Ryan's such a great candidate in Ohio, because Tim Ryan does talk to these folks, gets it, and he is challenging them on uh, taking on that you're being screwed because you're working class voter. You know, I'm from the working class and he and he is. And I think it's that kind of candidate right now. That's what we're talking about that bridges that cultural gap in a way that gets to enough of those swing voters, enough of these people who used to be in the Democratic coalition 
and working class voters were always uh, the base of, of our party. We need to win that base back and make arguments that appeal to them. And by the way, that includes these are people who, like all Americans, believe that crime is too high. And yes, we can be for ref, uh, reform uh, in the just criminal justice system, but we have to be pro, you know, pro uh, law and order. They want, uh, you know, we which we we need to speak in terms of it's one thing to talk about. Um, or training for police, but we have to insist that we get that crime is real and we have to address it. And uh, and we have to be, it, yeah, that's to I me, mean, it can't be uh, just with, with uh, uh, you, you know, policies that seem to be, you know, you know we've, we've got to forcefully uh, take on Arguments like defund the police, which which just feed exactly into those fears uh, that these voters have, and instead state strongly. I mean, so it, the act of of speaking out and saying no, that we're not defunding the police. You know, we're, that's not a, a a and and then at the same time affirm what we are for. Uh, that we stand for law and order and that that we, while there are reforms that we all need to work on, um, making our streets safe, putting more police on the streets uh, with better training is is what we where we, the Democratic Party, want to go. That's going to get. Uh, yeah, there'll be people screaming in our party, uh, at, just as there are people who, who uh, will scream from the right. But that's where we have to meet these voters, I think. The report says something along the lines of we need an honorable middle ground, right? And I think this is where you want to go. But Joe Biden's doing a really good job of this in the last couple of weeks, especially on the police issue. I mean, getting up and saying in a speech, fund the police. I mean, now we just got to repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. But right. he did but, this with the party platform but that's the, too, right? But that's the whole point. Uh, you know, they have an outrage machine that repeats the lie. We basically, you know, we have Joe Biden at the State of the Union said it, say, well, and, and it won't, it has to be repeated from within the party. And there's got to be a, 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 an understanding of what the stakes are right now. They're much greater than they were in 1992 when Bill Clinton took the party in a turn that, that reached a, a lot of those working class voters uh, uh, that had gone to, you know, the, the Reagan Democrats uh, that had gone to, uh, to, to Reagan, a lot of the, enough of them came home that it, it was a, you know, that we won and, and, and won a uh, re-election with him. I think when you look at things like, yes, parents should have a say in their kids' education. Yes. I mean, these are all common sense kinds of things. Yes. More police with better training will make us, you know, make us safer. These are the things we're for. And again, uh, by taking them on, it removes part of the cultural gap that the Republicans have been able to build up, much in the same way that, that uh, uh, Trump took away attacks on Social Security and Medicare, cutting Social Security and Medicare away. We have to take aggressive action on these cultural issues or social issues in a, in a way that affirms 
where we and every American is. In other words, most Americans believe uh, that more police with better training would would be a you know something that we should do. There may be people uh, in the party who don't believe that, but that's fine. They're not you know we're we're it, it's not the when they the the country should get worried when they have. <laughs> When they they have the majority right. of the party, not not today, because that's that there's that's that's what they do. They take um, the seven percent of the crazy. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, you know, somebody says something on both sides. But I mean, where we have about seven, eight percent of both parties, which is the next myth. I think a progressive ascendancy is emerging. That's not the case. You know, seven percent of this electorate consists considers itself very liberal. And what you're what you're seeing is that that yeah the seven or eight percent that is sort of hyper intense uh, and it, you know is the most active on Twitter the most active on social media probably uh, are, are some of the, mo- the most active and repetitive donors in the party very important the same thing uh, I think it may be eight or nine percent on the Republican side of the most intense who are on social media, et cetera, you know, take, take uh, are, are more more engaged. But, uh, you know, a lot of the uh, of us are living in. Yeah. And we've heard everybody talking about, you know, people are living in two different bubbles. Well, those two groups definitely are. Right. I mean, uh, and the problem with that is. It only take it, you know, with, with their outrage machine, they can jump on a defund the police, you know, by uh, relatively few people, including not very many African Americans or his or Hispanics, uh, were part of defund the police. We lose if we don't push back with what we are for, and take away some of the the wedges, and not give them wedges, but take them away from them. You know, they in the report, I think they said that uh, Democrats are living in a bubble defined by education, income and geography. Time after time, Republicans yeah. use progressives overreach in areas such as crime, immigration, education to drive wedges between swing voters and the Democratic Party. You, know, you and I saw this in in Alabama, where the, the brand was so poisoned those Republican women who like literally and I've said it a lot of times on this podcast you know, couldn't, they, they could barely spit the word Democrat out because it was so- Couldn't say the word, yeah. And so we keep, we sort of, you know, give, give, um, give them the ammo, uh, they use it. And then we, you know, you know, as they say in the report, this pattern will not end until Democrats break out of the mindset that dominates deep blue states familiarize themselves with the rest of the country and then carefully craft stances on these issues that move the country forward and that a majority of Americans can embrace. And this is like what I think is really important. We we don't we literally cannot win the Electoral College without winning places like Ohio and Iowa. Then and, and you know whether it's Florida, Texas, the, none of these are easy places, but they're not going to be won um, by uh, not talking to working class white uh, Americans 
and who were always with the Democratic Party. That's the thing that, you know, you know, Doug Jones, uh, his dad uh, worked in the Fairfield Steel plant uh, in Fairfield, Alabama. You know, that's where the party, you know, it came from the working class and were in failing to stand for common sense, including, by the way, patriotism. For example, um, I think, uh, you know, I, I still, you know, have been waiting for Biden to say to the American people, will pay any price, bear any burden to help uh, preserve democracy in Ukraine and around the world. And, and to, to call on the patriotism of Americans to, to uh, a, as part of not just sending weapons and, and humanitarian aid, but also calling the American people to, you, you know, to, to stand together calling on their patriotism to stand together and support uh, any way they can the effort, including, yes, it's going to be painful here. Not that isn't an excuse on inflation. I'm just saying it's something we don't we're not very effective at, uh, I think. And we need to be because I think I think Americans would, would respond uh, to that sense of love of country and patriotism and love of democracy as part of, yes, the, the other party is a is a threat to, to democracy, but somehow they're able to have put a wedge on, on patriotism itself. And we're not supposedly we, we don't love the country and aren't patriots. It's 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 complete BS, but we don't assert back the other way. That's something we have to do. Um, you know, parents do have a say in educating their kids. They, they must. Uh, we are, uh, we do love our country, you know, I, and the, the reason you're getting screwed isn't because you're white, it's because you're a working class person. Um, and we're getting stepped on uh, left and right. And it's the bit, you know, it's, it's, it's the money that fueled what's going on in the court right now, and Roe v. Wade and all this stuff. It's all tied to who, it's not just who decides, but who owns the country. And right now it's not working class people. Uh, we have to join together and fight this. Well, that's a different uh, uh, way to go than what we've been doing. Right. Well, Joe, we're just about out of time, but I want to leave you with this stat. And this gets to how hard some of these swing states are. And this is from the report. White non-college voters in swing states comprise a significantly larger share of the electorate than black and Hispanic voters combined, I think, except in Georgia and Texas. Yes, that's right. But the, so right. That, so a strategy that, that says, right. So a strategy that says, no, we'll just turn out more of our people when, by the way, they're doing a better job of turning out more of theirs misses the point. Yes, we have to do that, but we have to appeal to white working class voters, period. Yep. And it's to do it not by basically saying, well, if you're with them, you're racist. No, it's you're they're telling you you're screwed because you're white. That's not. And you know what they're doing that with, with a lot of money, dark money and everything else. You're being you're and it's to divide us, to keep working class people at each other's throats instead of 
joining together and and making things better for working people. That's why Joe Biden is going to not raise taxes on anybody who makes less than $400,000 a year and why they want to raise taxes now on you and everybody you know, uh, 80 million Americans, because they don't think you have enough skin in the game. That's right. your class. That's not race. That's that's they they look they are you don't have enough skin in the game, so they want to tax you. Well, no, we're for working class people. We're trying to build a future, um, and you need to be with us. Is a much better case than fighting over critical race theory, or or uh, whatever culture thing they throw at us. Uh, tomorrow to keep that the class divided. That's what the case I think we need to start to make. I think people should read the report, uh, the study. Um, I think it's a little confusing uh, maybe for us to go over it uh, on this uh, podcast. Hopefully we were able to get enough uh, of it to you but um, uh, to understand, but you'll really get a good understanding of it. I think if you, if you actually uh, download and read the report. It's very insightful. And it comes from two people, uh, Elaine uh, K. Mark and Bill Gostin, who both literally were there at the beginning with me uh, when I was a, a young man working in the, the Mondale campaign back in 1984. They were right uh, in 1990, 89 or so uh, with the first report. I think they're right today. And I think the, the progressive movement has to mature uh, enough to read uh, reports like this, understand what these people are talking about. Uh, they are progressives. They understand communications. They understand the numbers um, and how the Electoral College is stacked against us and that either we win uh, these voters and not don't ignore them, don't talk past them, but uh, make the case that we're the working class party that they should be with. Uh, with that, I think we're out of time. So thanks everyone for listening to that trippy show. We'll include a link to the PPI report in our show notes. We'll be back next week with more special guest episodes. And of course, please subscribe to that trippy show and leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen. You can always send us a question to that trippy show at Gmail or leave us a question in the review on iTunes.